This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say... the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru. I'm the TOS editor for the network. And with me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Fantastic. That's good. Fantastic. That's a good way to start off oh. today's episode. A good segue that I did not intend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today we're going to be discussing, uh, Mike had the idea that we talk about, uh, 1999 seemed to be the year that uh, homages to to the original series came out. Yeah. Um, even though they had been created years before, they finally got theatrical releases in in 1999. Well, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about this because on my other show, Commentary Track Stars Off Topic, which you can find on CommentaryTrackStars.com, for the past uh, few months uh, and continuing through the end of this year, we've been doing a 1999 retrospective where every episode, at the end of the episode, we take a look at the movies that came out in this week in 1999. And in sort of putting this thing together... Obviously, 1999 was the year of Star Wars. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace came out, and everyone was going Star Wars crazy. And one of the things which I noticed first off was, you know, Trekkies came out that year, and it came out the same week as Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And I'm like, that's really weird. But then hmm. two two other very beloved fan projects from star trek and focusing primarily on the original series were um free enterprise and galaxy quest and all of these things came out in 1999 which is very strange so the year of star wars was also the year of star trek fan films and the reasoning behind that i don't know maybe it's the trekkies trying to fight back against uh, george (laughs) lucas's uh, evil empire i don't know the the trekkies strike back yeah but whatever it is i thought it was an interesting parallel and and you know we figured this is a good thing to talk about yes and for those listening in the future the current year is 2014 yes so 1999 was 15 years ago which is why we're right exactly. re- why you're retrospectiving it exactly yes and i've been listening and it's a it was 1999 was a better year for movies than i realized yeah, and it's going to get even better. We're just we just sort of dipped our toes in in the waters so far. You know, we've had um, things like Go, and uh, you know, Payback and Cruel Intentions. But you know, coming up, it's just going to be like, oh my god! You know, this year was so good for movies. I, I really, sincerely believe that this was the best year for movies, nineteen ninety nine. It was a good year for you to get into working at a movie theater. <laughs> it was. It was actually really awesome. Even though most of the best movies I didn't get to show, but whatever. That's the way it works. So Yeah. So first off, we'll talk about Trekkies, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen, but if you haven't, it was a, a kind of a documentary. Um, definitely a documentary, yeah. It wasn't so much a, a study of, like, Trekdom as it was just uh, storytelling. My wife watched it with me because I was like, look, a documentary. You like documentaries. And while she enjoyed it, it was still more of a, look at these guys. Tell us about cons. Aren't cons crazy? Yeah. I mean, that's a documentary. I mean, it's it's similar in, in style and tone to, let's say, King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily chronicling an event so much as a a subculture. But I think it did a pretty good job at that. And it is available on Netflix for those people who are 
interested, along with Trekkies 2, the sequel. So, yeah. Which is not its subtitle. No, no. That's the subtitle for Airplane 2. No, yeah. <laughs> Trekkies 2 Electric Boogaloo is the official title. That is that is a 100% fact. Yes. Trekkies is uh, hosted by Denise Crosby, and it basically chronicles her talking to TOS and TNG and Voyager actors about their convention experiences, their experiences with fans, and it also focuses on three or four unique fans and their fan clubs. And uh, my favorite was the two ladies that hosted the Star Trek radio show. Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't realize that before podcasting, there were still podcasting, kind of. Trek, the Trek network, the Trek nerd network lived on before it existed. Yeah. It was a show called Talk Trek, and it was syndicated, and it ran for, I think, nine years, from 1990 to 1998. And uh, I had never heard it. We did not get it here in Chicago, but like... I remember when I first saw this documentary and I'm like, oh my God, if we had had that, especially at that time period, I would have listened every single night. And you think (laughs) about it now and it's like, wow, now we have that every single day from multiple people and we're almost blasé about it, but they were trailblazers. My my favorite part of the documentary is uh, Gabe. Gabe, I've never been able to say his last name. I think it's like Corner or something like that. I don't know. Who who ended up growing up and working on Enterprise and Battlestar Galactica? Yeah, like and 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 like you see him and you remember him as the guy who was complaining about the piping on his first contact uniform that his friend had made just from just from screenshots of the trailer, you know the the real player streaming file, and he's like, oh, she got the stitching wrong, and I was like, oh, geez. But then he shows off, you know, he's like, I'm working on this render. And I'm like, that's so great. Because even as like a 14-year-old kid, he had these dreams and aspirations of, you know, like, I'm going to make a Star Trek fan film. And he ended up actually working on Star Trek. I think he did the, at least he did the ending scene of These Are the Voyages. Yeah, he modeled the the CGI D that we see. Yeah, that's it. I mean, he... It's, Which is fantastic. It's kind of a crazy story. Like, because that was one of those things where, like, you, you look at him and he seems like one of the biggest nerds, right? And 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 you're just like, oh, dude, come on. Like, he, he seems like, I mean, jumping ahead a little bit, he seems like Justin Long's character from Galaxy Quest, you know? <laughs> it's... But but then at the same time, and, and like, his, his attention to detail, like, I mean... It's like, oh, we designed these uniforms for this fan film. And it's like, really, dude? And then, but then you see like, oh, and here's a ship that I made. And and you just look at that and you're like, oh my God. Especially with like the tools that he had in 1996 or whatever. It's like, how Mm -hmm. did you do that? And, (laughs) you know, it's like the, the, I don't know, a few years ago when I had seen this thing again and, you know, now we have IMDb and and Google or whatever, and you know I, I looked him up to see what he was doing. And at that point in time, I think um, the big thing that stood out to me was the the director of this movie, Roger Nygaard. He's done a number of documentaries, and whatever the documentary was that he did after Trekkies, it needed a few visual effects shots, and he hired Gabe to do the effects for his new documentary and i'm like oh wow oh that's really cool you know and then you start reading and it's like oh man he made it you know he he actually turned this this fandom into a career and i guess uh he also did a thing i i I was just kind of reading about it a little bit but you know back when uh the you know jj was working on the new movie they obviously wanted to to redesign the enterprise and they had multiple artists come in and do their their renditions of the uh, NCC 1701 and he did one of them and it's mm-hmm. up like you can see it and there's a lot of people who actually think it's better than the one which was used Ryan Church's yeah, yeah. so they, he he released that I don't think I don't know if he did it for JJ but he did oh, he release did? it Okay. I, I think he just was just like, look, if we're going to redesign the Enterprise, here's this what, is it what it look is? like. Oh, okay. I, I thought he actually did it for 
bad robot. Well, the the problem is that every news article that mentioned the new Star Trek movie because they didn't have any images oh, would so use his Enterprise. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So so it looks like it's in a, an official capacity, but you'd end up being like, no, that's Gabe's Enterprise. Put it back. Okay. Put it back. Gotcha. That's not what it looks gotcha. like. Gotcha. It is that. Okay. I was confused. I must have read one of those articles that. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's that's like a a great success story right there, you know. I'm wondering if the uh if the director hired him to do the special effects as an apology for leaving in the the cut take where his friend phones while he's talking with his dad and he picks up the phone and he's like this is the absolute worst time you could be calling. I'm like that has nothing to do with anything. Well, that's a funny And there are moment. cuts on either side of it. I feel I mean, but you feel bad for him. I don't feel bad for him because he hangs up the phone and then he turns around and he laughs. And it was obvious because he's like, this is the absolute worst time you could be calling. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. And then he hangs up the <laughs> phone. That to me was him being funny. And maybe he didn't intend for it to be in there, but he was obviously being funny about that. Like that to me, I don't know. I, he should not be embarrassed by that. He should be applauded for his comic timing. <laughs> that, that was great. <laughs> I never thought about it like that. I mean, I'm sure that gets like the biggest laugh in the theater. Aside from, uh, oh God, what was the one line? I forget what it was. There's one like little throwaway line where someone says something completely bizarre. And I'm just like, that's in there. That's hilarious. I forget what it was. Well, on on Memory Alpha, the only quote from the movie is, this is the absolute worst time you could be calling me. Really? God, what was it? I can't remember. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, the, the other weird thing about it is just now being in that that world, you know, which I guess we mm-hmm. are, and and going to conventions and stuff like that. There's so many people where it's like, I know who that guy is, or I've seen that guy before, and you know, it's, it's almost like you can pick like the guy who um who's dressed as a Klingon and and wins the. Uh, the forehead the headpiece yeah like there's a little thing right at the beginning where they're like going through just sort of like a montage of people and and you see her talking to him i think it's him and he's like my name is john paladin and Mm -hmm. that guy is a guy who now it seems to be at like every convention where he gets up on stage and does the makeup for like Klingons, like he'll do Robert O'Reilly's makeup, you know, oh. on stage. And I'm pretty sure that he actually did work in the series. Um, oh, wow. I'm not 100% positive on that, but that's, yeah, just things like that. My my problem that I had watching it was because of Gabe's, like, you know, the piping is wrong on this uniform kind of thing. I end up like looking at the uniforms, especially after, you know, after Inovos and, you know, being able to get 100% accurate uniforms and stuff. I'm just like, oh, that, that, that lady who went to the jury, you know, her pips on her collar are entirely too big. Yeah. And then I found myself judging everybody's, including uh, Kate Mulgrew's while she was on the set of Voyager. <laughs> I'm just like, that's a really good rep. Oh, wait, that's Kate Mulgrew. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and she's actually wearing her uniform. It's okay. Yeah, just just to to, to specify here, pa- Paladin. It, looking at his bio or whatever, it looks like he didn't actually work on the show, but he does go around to the cons and and do the makeup for people like Susie Plaxen and and Aaron Eisenberg and stuff like that up on stage. So, wow. So yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think about the movie in general? I. I enjoy it. I think that it's a it's a fairly well balanced piece. It's not like <laughs> look at these nerds. I mean, there's there's the stories like uh, Jimmy Dewan's story about uh, the girl who's going to commit suicide, wrote him a fan letter, and he convinced her to come to the next convention, and she ended up coming to a whole bunch of them, and how he you know helped save her life, and he gets a little tear in his eye. That's my favorite part is that everybody is still alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get. You get interviews with Jimmy Doohan and DeForest Kelly and Majel Barrett, and it's really touching, and they, they all have good stories to tell. So they kind of balance the the guy who has the Star Trek-themed dentist office with, you know, John DeLancey sharing stories about people asking if Q can bring people back from the dead. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, the Star Trek-themed dental office, tell me that you wouldn't go there. 
Oh no, I'm I'm not saying that I wouldn't. I was looking at everything in the background like I could do that. You yeah. Know? I've yeah. got a lot of these pieces here. Yeah. At at that point in time you could just go to Spencer's and buy all that stuff, which is probably what they did, you know. Not anymore, but I mean th- th- there's some really cool stuff in there and the conventions, you know, that was right around the time where I had first started going to conventions. So seeing like all the dealers and and all that memorabilia, it's like I had so much of that stuff or or mm-hmm. if I didn't, I wanted so much of that stuff and just being able to see it there in its natural environment was pretty awesome. I think about how the quality of the merch has increased in the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, back in the in the mid 90s when they filmed it, you know, you had some you had some 30th anniversary stuff, but you know, you didn't have Anovos hundred percent accurate replicas and That's QMX true. phasers and stuff like that. You had, you know, you still were in the day where you had handcrafted merchandise, which may be, you know, better. Yeah. Maybe maybe we've lost something. Yeah. No, that's true. And I mean, I guess the the only downside to now compared to then is that there there isn't nearly as much stuff. And, you know, I know like a lot of the toys and stuff that they had were kind of garbage or whatever, but there were a lot of um, cool things like, like the books and stuff like that. You know, we don't get nearly as many books now as we did back in, you know, 1996, which is unfortunate. So should we move on to uh, the second movie of, of 1999? Yes, the, the second movie that we're going to be talking about came out in 1999 well, it was widely released in 1999 yes it was it was at a i think a few maybe some some festivals or something before that in 98 and uh that would be uh, mark altman and robert meyer burnett's free enterprise mm-hmm. featuring the uh will from will and grace and william shatner and and rafer weigel who is now doing uh sports for the nbc affiliate here in chicago that's very interesting. It was really? weird because at the time it was like Rafer Weigel. Oh, that's Tim Weigel's son because his dad is sort of a legendary sports anchor from okay. back in the day, from at that that time. And his son had moved to L.A. to be an actor. Now his son is back in Chicago doing what his dad used to do. So. To, that's to, really neat so to, you see him like all the time i see like every time i turn on the tv like especially like sunday nights it's like there he is i'm like i follow him on twitter and all he ever does is talk about the blackhawks because that's his job you know or the bears <laughs> you know it's like worlds colliding yeah it's crazy that's very interesting yeah yeah but a uh, free enterprise is a story of a group of 30 year olds dating in la while also being giant nerds. And trying to break into the film industry. Yeah, trying to break into the film industry, trying to get their, their scripts sold. Like, uh, which one is it? It's well, there's Mark. Brady. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, he's the writer. Mark and Robert. And even the Robert, when he's a kid, somebody yells at him, calls him Burnett. So yeah. I'm just like, okay, Mary Sue much? <laughs> they, they basically wrote a story of their lives. Oh, I yeah. called it a biopic when I, I mentioned it on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, Mark is working, I think he's, he's publishing a magazine called Geek, which then takes it one step further because when, like at the time he was publishing what Sci-Fi Universe, uh, which which is uh, what Geek was based on. But, Mark was? Yeah. And, and then, he, <laughs> it, but then when they actually started up their own new magazine they called it geek you know which is obviously some wow. a reference to the magazine and i think even the font that they use on the cover is the same yeah if i'm not mistaken <laughs> um but yeah yeah there's there's all sorts of crazy weird um, and and i didn't catch it but apparently one of the one of the people they play basketball with is mark altman yeah definitely yeah <laughs> Because that, that, like Mark Altman, like he was all over the place back then. Like he was on um, the Sci Fi Channel all the time, the Sci Fi Vortex, which was the best hmm. show ever. And I remember, like, because they came to Chicago, they came to Wizard World in Chicago, a convention 
to promote free enterprise like the summer before this came out, the summer of 98. And at that time I was working at a comic book store. So I was like in one of the booths. And at one point I saw Mark Altman run by the booth. I'm like, it's, it's Mark Altman. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it was, it, it, it was crazy. You know, at that time, like th- that guy, cause he was in, he was doing like editorials for Cinescape and stuff like that. He was all over the place. And he had written a bunch of books about Star Trek. Like he did like this episode guide where it took like every episode that had been produced up until that point of all the Star Trek shows and it like rated every single one in terms of quality. It was like wow. him, him and another guy wrote the book. It's actually a really cool book. And he was also writing a a couple Deep Space Nine comics at the time too. So he was like huge in the thing. And then it's like, well, here's a story about his life, you know? And But that wasn't the hook that got me into it. Like working at a comic book store pre-internet, like there was a lot of, uh, that's where you got your information. Things like mm-hmm. uh, the the comic shop news, uh, which was like a paper that came out every week and stuff like that. And my friend and I, who I worked with at the time, Josh, we were both huge William Shatner fans. And right. we hear like, oh, there's going to be this movie coming out called Free Enterprise where William Shatner plays himself. And we're like, what? <laughs> what? This is going to be the most amazing thing ever, which I guess is what we didn't get to in the synopsis, right? But, uh, right. They, they're they trying to make it in the industry, and, and they're trying to make it in their love lives, and they meet William Shatner, who is obviously someone who they've idolized for their entire lives, and they think, like, maybe this will be... Maybe he will help us out. Maybe he will guide us in our, our life choices and 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 steer us on a path to success. And it turns out that William Shatner is a, a womanizing alcoholic who is trying to produce a, a musical version of Julius Caesar in which he plays all the parts. Yes. Which is amazing. And how come <laughs> how come that movie hasn't been made, by the way? But Especially with today's technology. You could totally do it, you know? It would be like that Shatner Quake book that, that was released online, where all the different... Have you read Shatner Quake? I haven't read it. I'm aware of it, but I haven't read oh. it. Have you read where it? Every, every character that William Shatner has ever played comes out of like a wormhole and tries to kill William Shatner. That's amazing. <laughs> but we hear about this. We hear about William Shatner as himself in a movie. You know, we gotta see this thing, you know? And... and Obviously, the nature of independent productions, there's, they're not exactly timely in terms of their release because there's so much in terms of getting funding and everything like that. So then we see, you know, summer of 98, like, oh, it's going to be at Wizard World, you know, and they've got their, like, on the little flyer table thing, they've got little, like, trading cards. and Trading cards? Yeah, they were, like, little trading cards which were set up, and it's, like, free enterprise and I remember seeing them and thinking, like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And, like, I grabbed a couple, and I gave one to my friend. And on the cover or on the trading card is just, like, um, Rafer Weigel and Audie England. And they're just, like, you know, like, hugging each other or something like that. Mm-hmm. And on the back, it's the description of the movie. And, like, Shatner's barely mentioned. And, like, <laughs> my friend is reading, and he's like, this does not sound like the movie they were talking about before. This sounds like crap, you know? And it was playing at only one theater here in Chicago. I think it was The Village. And I didn't go because it's a hard theater to get to. But my friend went with his friends. And he came back and he's like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing movie ever. And he (laughs) described, like, word for word, the first scene to me where they talk about Han Solo and I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds like the most amazing movie ever. You're right. I need to right. see this right away. And it was one of those things where it came out on VHS. And on my way, I worked like a block away from a blockbuster. So on my way home, the day that it came out, I went over to the blockbuster and I rented the movie. And I took it home to watch after work. And I didn't get off of work until like midnight. So I took it home and I watched it and I had to be back at work at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, 1130 in the morning. So I watched it and I'm like, oh my God, like this movie is like, 
this is this is like one of the best <laughs> movies I've ever seen. Like, and I'm not even exaggerating. And I liked it so much that I, I went online and I started looking at like what was on the DVDs, and I saw that the DVDs were packed full of extras and everything. Mm-hmm. I woke up two hours <laughs> early the next morning so that I could, could take the train downtown to go to the Virgin Megastore and buy the DVD before <laughs> I went to work so that when I came back home from work, I could rewatch the movie on DVD along with all the special features that oh night. That's how much I loved this movie. And I still love it. It's amazing. I I rented it randomly 2001, 2002, because I figured I, I should watch it. And I didn't really care for it. I mean, I was only like, you know, 20 years old and maybe didn't understand the dating scene and and that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, all right. I didn't like it. I'll watch it again. You sent me your copy and I watched it and I still don't like it. (laughs) I I don't know what it is about it. It just, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. I found it more humorous this time around because I recognized the Kirk speeches. Mm Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. previously I hadn't watched enough TOS to recognize the risk is our business. It's why we're out there. <laughs> There's so many layered jokes in there. I mean, like the the Garden of Eden thing, you know, like they, 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 they sing that song, you know, stepping out to Eden, yay brother and everything like that. Yeah. Like I had heard that, you know, because watching, I've seen this movie God knows how many times. And then, like, last time I was re-watching TOS, get to uh, Way to Eden, and they start singing that song. I'm like, oh, I get that joke. All right. <laughs> you know, there's so many moments like that. And it's not just Star Trek. It's all sci-fi. But anyway, regardless. I do, I do appreciate it. It reminded me of, because I've had conversations where we basically just quote movies back to each other, mm-hmm. like they do. I like how it's presented as if, yes, this is how what we do. Deal with it. As opposed to like Big Bang Theory, which has a laugh track every time somebody says something that I've said in real life. And they're just like, oh, that's the funniest thing ever. Those stupid people. And I'm like, whoa. At least they treat, I mean, because it's themselves, the writers are obviously going to treat it with, with some kind of respect. They may be poking fun at themselves, but they're not going to outright mock themselves. Yeah. And 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 that's one of the things that I do, you know, love about this movie. And one of the, I think the reason why it it strikes such a chord with me is because when I watch it, especially at that point in time, in terms of the you know uh, like friendship aspect and everything, and like that was, sort that was my life. You know, I'm sure that mm-hmm. that, that that this happens all all the time. You know, with people where they they watch it and they're just like. That's my life up on the screen, going to Toys R Us with your friends yes, to look for action really figures. Great. You know, I mean, the, on the deleted scenes, they have things where like they go to a, a laser disc store, Laser Blazer. It's like <laughs> that's what I did. Like me and my friend Zach, like that was how we spent our Saturdays. You know, and and it, it was just kind of amazing to 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 see that up on screen. And then also, I mean, like seeing it when i was at film school you know and seeing that mm-hmm. like these guys were trying to get into the film industry and everything like that it was like wow you know this is possible this is a thing that that can be done you know it's it's really mm-hmm. sort of about following your dreams and yeah. and and that you was you could you could make a movie with william shatner right i could make a movie with william shatner and also and this is the other side of it like the william shatner performance in this movie like I straight up honest to God think that this is probably his best performance ever. Yeah. He, he is so good. Like and and we've talked about, you know, 99 being like the best year ever for movies and there's like a million amazing performances in 1999 and I honestly think that he should have been nominated for an Oscar for his performance in this movie. No one plays themselves better than William Shatner plays himself. It's true. And and usually when Shatner plays himself, it's very over the top. Like at the beginning, when they're kids, Shatner appears to them in like dream sequences and acts like the Shatner that you expect. But the Shatner that you actually, they meet, is like a broken person, which apparently was Shatner's idea. Yeah. yeah. Originally, he was just going to be, I'm going to be William Shatner. But he plays him like, look, you know, I've lost a lady. 
I'm sad and he drinks all the time. And it it's kind of a subdued Shatner performance, which is interesting, especially when he's playing himself. Mm-hmm. But it's also a very, very comedic Shatner performance, which is like what he excels at. He is so oh, yeah. He's he's such a great comedian. And I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for that. But I think lots of times people are laughing at him. And they don't realize that the reason why they're laughing at him is because he's being intentionally funny. Right. But he is hilarious. I mean, I love that guy so much <laughs> as a performer. Um, yes. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, overall, I, I don't, I don't, I still don't care for free enterprise. I see the, I see the positives and, and I appreciate it as, you know, like a time capsule of, of you know late 90s fandom uh and making it in the movie industry but it it's not my favorite yeah i mean free enterprise for me i mean i i love this movie probably too much like i honestly think this is better than most star trek movies you know i mean th- <laughs> this movie is truly one of my favorite movies ever made so all right the last homage to tos is uh my favorite and a lot of people's favorite Star Trek movie, which is not fair. Yes. But is Galaxy Quest, yes. which I did see in theaters. Me too. Um, I actually saw it at a... Indianapolis has at least one uh, restaurant movie theater, mm. uh-huh. where you actually like sit around a, a table in a, in a converted movie theater and watch the movie. So my dad and I were like, let's go eat, and we'll go see this sci-fi movie. And... We didn't eat. Like, we got food, but we were so engrossed in the movie, we didn't eat. So, Did you realize that it was like an homage to, to Star Trek when you were watching yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Dad loved it. I mean, it's, it's the humor, everything is right up his alley. And it's right up my alley, too. Uh, rewatching it again for this, I, I think I love it even more now. I don't think it's fair to categorize it as a Star Trek movie, but it is definitely... I, I like the kind of I don't know exactly what I'm how to phrase it, but the the idea of actors being uh, like in that that Futurama episode that we watched. It it I like the idea of the actors being taken out of their comfort zone and forced to actually participate in their show, and yelling about how the uh, you know in order to get to the warp core or whatever they have to go through all of this fire and these squishing panels and stuff because that's what they did in that episode so that's what the aliens built you know it must obviously do something yeah (laughs) and just justin long's character um you know the the nerd who has every aspect of the show memorized helping them uh because he had charted all this stuff out like larry was talking about you know pausing the pausing the tv well not even being able to pause the tv but you know sketching things from memory in order to like map out everything that you could about the series. And, you know, he was one of those kind of fans and he was able to help save the day. And that, I like that because I'm that kind of fan, that, that detail oriented, realism focused fan. So it's like, yeah, that's me. And I saved the day. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I enjoy this movie too. I don't like it nearly as much as most um, Star Trek fans seem to like it. Like they did a, a screening. I can't remember, earlier this year, or maybe it was last year, for like the Cinerama Dome's big anniversary in L.A., and it seemed like every single person who lived in L.A. who was in my Twitter feed was in that room watching that that <laughs> movie, you know? They were all just, you know, geeking out to, to Galaxy Quest, and the love for that movie is 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 really, really big, you know? Mm-hmm. Max thinks it's, you know... Uh, one of the best movies ever you know and, and everything it's it's a it's a movie which is very very much loved by by star trek fans and uh, i watched it again last night and my reaction to it pretty much remains what my reaction to it was when i saw it back in 99 which is like ah uh, that, that that's that was good you know i'll give you a nice little golfer's clap for that you know <laughs> And it's not it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just it never, to me, really lifts off and becomes that thing that um, everyone else sort of admires it for. For me, hmm. but I do I do enjoy it. 
but it's like not something that I can watch repeatedly or, or anything like that. And the whole thing with like people saying like, oh, it's it's one of the best Star Trek movies that that was always weird to me, like really weird to me. Like even even J.J. says that, you know, he's like one of my favorite Star Trek movies is Galaxy Quest. And I don't know, every no. time I hear that, it's like, how did that happen that everyone does that? Because every time someone says it, it feels like they're saying it like I came up with this. On my own. Yeah, everybody seems to think they're clever. <laughs> but everyone says it. And it's usually, the, and that's fine, you know, if people want to do that, it's that's fine. The thing that, that bothers me is that usually it's the same people who are like, in reference to like the J.J. movies where they're like, that's not a Star Trek movie. Is that is, right. that is that a Star Trek movie? Is this a Star Trek movie? I don't think that's a Star Trek movie. It's like, what does that even mean? And why do we want to be able to fit Star Trek into little boxes like that? You know, it is a mm. Star Trek movie. Let's. And I wish that Galaxy Quest was a Star Trek movie because that would just be expanding, you know, the possibilities for that franchise even further. Hey, if 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 you want to count that as a Star Trek movie, go ahead. Fine, whatever. We're not going to stop you. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I it's it's decent. It's really decent. I I really like it. I like Tim Allen and Alan Rickman and Sigourney Weaver. So it's like really good to see them all together. Especially like I don't think I'd seen it since I really saw like Alan Rickman performances in in Harry Potter and stuff like that. So it was really fun to watch it again with the you know knowing his droll. He's always droll. So it's great to to see him. Yeah, Alan Rickman is awesome in this movie. I have to say, he's awesome in every movie, but this movie this in is particular, true. oh my God, his performance is so good. So, Trekkies, we both we both enjoy. Mm-hmm. Free Enterprise, you love, yes. and I don't like. Uh-huh. And Galaxy Quest, I love, and you don't like. No, 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 I like Galaxy Quest. I totally like Galaxy Quest. Okay, you like, yeah. and I love. Yeah, Okay. I mean, I like all three of these movies. If I had to rank them, I guess I would say... Free Enterprise, Trekkies, and Galaxy Quest, but like you know, I, you know, I, I log my my movie watching on Letterboxd, as everyone should. And um, I, last night I was like putting Galaxy Quest on there, and they do like a five star scale, and I'm like, mm-hmm. is Galaxy Quest three stars or four stars? I'm not sure. Three and a half. I went with three, but at no point was I like, is it two stars? No, 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 no. It's it's definitely a good movie. I own it. It's a good movie. I just can't what's watch great, it every day. Right. Yeah. And what's great is I had the exact same conversation with myself logging free enterprise in the letterbox. <laughs> and I was like, do we give it two stars or three stars? I think he gave it two and a half. Yeah, so. I saw that. You did. <laughs> at least we are too much alike, but at least we we disagree on a couple things. That's good. That's good. Well, it was fun talking about homages to Star Trek today, but that's just one of the topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Arena Commentary. They're like, everything is fine. It's, there's nothing. Just come down. We have fried chicken. <laughs> it's good. Earl Grey. Picard's Romances. You say it's not great, Philip, but what I think you mean is it's probably one of the most forgettable episodes of the <laughs> entire series. The Ready Room. The Romulan War. That was, what, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth episode of the original series. Lawrence Schneider, he invents the Romulans. That was the whole the whole genesis of it. And if they'd known that the Romulans might have been a recurring alien, they might not have given them those, you know, quote-unquote, expensive helmets. The Orb. Boogie. We find out, and Quark finds out, as we're talking about how he reacts and sort of comes to terms with what his mother's doing. She's the woman behind the curtain. She's the person who is calling the shots at the highest level of Ferengi society. To the journey! Ultimate Season 5 Marathon. You could argue brother and sister, but maybe more like your favorite uncle, who you once had a sex dream about. I don't know. So that explains persistence of vision. Yeah. <laughs> Warp 5. Archer's Lost Loves. Not Dodge so much, it's just he's unsure of himself in that in that regard. He can be a starship captain, but 
A guy in love? Mm, I don't know about that. Commentary, Trek stars. The TNG Companion. He secretly doesn't know every time he replies to me on Twitter, I let out let a little fan squeal on the other end. I play it cool, though. I play it cool, guys. Um, no, I'm, I'm the same exact way, but I don't play it cool. By little fan squeal, you mean <laughs> that sound Chekhov made. In the <laughs> continuing mission. The continuing mission audio drama. Our writer, David Raines, is a huge Lovecraft fan. And all of these Lovecraftian creatures are from outer space and you know the star trek characters they're always running into you know these godlike beings but you know they're benevolent well they're not benevolent but you know they speak english and you know they look like william campbell and literary treks serpents among the ruins will always help paris <laughs> wow you just destroyed one of my favorite lines from my favorite movie ever. Huh. We'll always have Iron Mike Paris. <laughs> oh, <God. All> right. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. We had a letter we're going to read this week from Colin from Melodic Treks, formerly of Trek News and Views. He says, hi, Drew and Mike. Now I know all too well that you're a fan of the JJ-verse, and anyone who didn't do it will no- be in no doubt after this episode. Of course, he's talking about the uh, fifth anniversary episode that we had uh, Matt Hansen on. Uh, but I feel that I must point out some things. The hardcore fans you referred to, who you said had a problem with the JJ-verse, deserve from credit and recognition. These are the fans that kept the franchise going for nearly 50 years. These are the fans that did the letter-writing campaign, buy the merchandise, go to the conventions, build the models, and loves Trek for what it is. Some may have a problem with JJ-verse, but they deserve recognition for the fact that they kept the light burning for so long. I don't consider myself a hardcore fan, nor to have the knowledge of the subject that even touches on the coattails of what Matt knows. But I do know that some see JJ as remaking something they know and love. Gene wanted to create a universe where people are entitled to a point of view, and with that in mind, they should not be put down because they don't share the love you three do for J.J. That said, I think the music is indeed brilliant for this film and its successor, but I do think that the lens flares way too much. There are other things wrong with the film, like a 17-year-old Chekhov serving on the flagship. Did he join the Academy at 14, as it takes three years? And I also think Spock is too emotional. Yes, he's half-human, but I think he's too human— Never mind Uhura sucking his face off every five minutes. Yes, the films have brought in a new audience, and I'm glad and thankful of that. I really just want less lens flare, more of a Trek feel, and less of the teenage romance. But hey, what do I know? It's made a bucket load of money, and may give us more Trek on TV. What with all the producers from Seth onwards putting in pitches, I can only hope one day someone greenlights it. Yeah, thanks, Colin. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and listen to it to hear exactly what we said, but... I don't think that we were trying, at least I, I wasn't trying to put down the hardcore fans at all. Oh, no. Not at you all. Know, and, and yeah, I mean, they totally, yes. If if there weren't for the hardcore fans, there would be no JJ-verse. And, you know, I would say that we are all in that category. You know, I think all that I was saying was, you know, lots of times, and this is true of everything, you know, I mean, to look at it in music, you know, fans who are super, 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 attached to a thing don't really like change because that thing strikes a perfect chord with them and and why would they want something different you know but to say that something is bad because it's different is i think a mistake and that's i think what a lot of people do and i mean god knows you know i do the same thing you know if you were to ask me what i think about the air jordan 28 I would say I am not happy with it because it does not at all uh, keep up with the, the style and the innovation and, and the beauty and craftsmanship of Air Jordans 1 through 27. But uh, is it a bad shoe? I, I don't know. I guess not if you like military boots. It keeps your foot dry. I'm I'm not sure about that, but I don't know what I don't know what shoes are for. <laughs> Sports. Sports. But you know what I'm saying, you know? I mean that, that's it, I'm totally guilty of of not looking at things through uh an ob- objective uh viewpoint. I mean, yes. if you go over to 
um, this week's episode, the, the episode that we just posted of Commentary Track Stars Off Topic, where we talk about Trekkies, by the way. It's an entire retrospective on Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And you will find me for, I haven't recorded it yet, but I'm guessing for about an hour, just gushing over how amazing Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is. Okay? And I can look at the movie and tell the, the you... The listeners can't see my look of disapproval, I'm sorry. Right. But... And, and, and I can look at this movie and, 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 and see that, yeah, it's flawed. There are definitely really big problems with it, but I'm coming at it from a certain point of view where nothing that you will say, and no matter how terrible you know it, it, it is, I'll always love it. And I'm just saying that the reverse is happening here with some fans and their, you know, disapproval of the JJ verse. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's human nature. That's, that's what it is. But I'm saying looking at it objectively, I love the JJ verse, just like looking at it objectively, I can see the problems in episode one. That's, right. that's and all I'm I, and I come from the exact opposite <laughs> point of view in that I, I loathe the prequels and and a lot of like the comparisons that I give to like well the JJ verse is fine and blah 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 a lot of those arguments are the same arguments I hear for the prequels so I'm like okay I can see I can see why people might not like the JJ verse yes and I understand that right that's fine but it's not Star Trek Eleven and it doesn't you know actually take place before the the actual movies so it doesn't actually change the character motiva- motivations of classic characters by making them liars every five seconds. But you'll find many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Yes. I just to drop that bomb right there. <laughs> it's not often I get to quote Star Wars on directly on the podcast. Well, we infer it a lot. Good job. We should do it more often. I'll try. I, I'm setting you, you up. You, I'm setting you quote, up. Do it. Oh, um... Do or do not. There is no try. Ah, sorry. <laughs> well, let's tell everyone where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on today's show or the JJ verse or the Star Wars prequels. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using a webcam's microphone, and you can talk to us and other listeners on our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Well, you can find me here on Trek FM doing commentary Trek stars with uh, my friend Max. Uh, currently, we're tackling the career of Larry Nemechek, so check that out. Um, you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com, where I do commentary Trek stars off topic with Max and uh, our friend Brandon. And currently, uh, like I just said this week, we're we're talking all about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, so be sure to check that out, too. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, and you can find me in other shows around the network. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone? Well, I have something which is rather interesting, which I'm actually uh, going through right now, and that's uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, the adaptation. I figured it's appropriate, okay. uh, given the subject matter. Um, it's written by Terry Brooks, narrated by Alexander Adams, and you can get the unabridged version, which is nine hours and 37 minutes, which, by the way, was just announced, is canon, so uh, mm-hmm. you can enjoy that. Here's a description for those people who don't know. I'm sure there are a lot of people uh, who have are not it's familiar with It's a period of Civil Star War, Wars. rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base and won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, men at rebel spies managed to steal the secret plans of the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Racing home board a starship Princess Leia 
custodian of the stolen plants against the savior of people. Dang it. Lost the last paragraph. I'm sorry. That's really impressive. But we're talking about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom oh, Menace. So now let's hear you war. do that one. They're heroes on both sides. No, that's Episode Three. Uh. <laughs> it's something about trade federations or whatever. I don't know. Oh yeah. Anyway, the description on Audible is: In barren desert lands and seedy spaceports, in vast underwater cities, and in the blackest depths of space, unfolds a tale of good and evil, of myth and magic, of innocence and power. At last, the saga that captures the imagination of millions turns back in time to reveal its cloaked origins. The start of a legend. The story of Star Wars. And, and uh, yeah, you can get this book for free. And, and by the way, I know that there's probably a lot of people who, uh, who are listening to this who haven't seen Star Wars. And if you're looking for a good jumping on point, this is the perfect one. Because um, no. it's the beginning. So um, you can get it for free on audible.com since you listen to Trek FM. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, not that one, with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is, which that's not the greatness. Get it. I'm reading it. (laughs) It's written by Terry Brooks. It is. done stuff. It's a good adaptation. I I bought it when the movie came out. You've read it. I've read it. Okay. Even I haven't read it, Drew. from... Jeez. You're such a big fan of the prequels. You're not hardcore. Anyway. <laughs> so so what were we saying about Audible again? So you should give Audible a try today and uh, catch up on all the Star Trek books you've yet to read or, or Star anything Wars. else that you'd like. Yeah. Um, just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Lastly, there's one more way that you can uh, directly help us keep Standard Orbit in orbit, and that's by uh, going to trek.fm slash donate. You'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork on the site. Uh, they're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know what you would like and which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. And there are no Toydarians. No. Or Thermians, which is kind of disappointing. Oh, yeah. Thermians would be neat. Well, it's a Star Trek movie, right? In their in their natural form. Yeah. With all the tentacles. Or not. Either way. <laughs> Ooh, there could be a variant. Ooh. Mm. One in every 500 is yeah. a Thermian. <laughs> you, you, it's one of those hologram cards, and you, it looks like a human, but then you turn it, and it's got a yep. Thermian. I think they need to do that. We'll suggest at the next staff meeting. Mm-hmm. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir.